You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome to Hour 2 on this Tuesday, Dan and the Danettes. Dan Patrick Show, the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar will join us. He wrote a very powerful op-ed piece for the LA Times. We'll talk to Kareem about how we move past this. How do we make this better? Inclusion. What roles do we play? Just saw that Wes Unseld passed away. Longtime NBA player, coach, executive, basketball Hall of Famer, passed away. Uh, Wes Unseld was one of those rare players that was probably maybe 6'7", and he played center. But he was, it felt like he was as tall as he was, he was that wide. He was, and he, but he wasn't a great leaper. He was just, he, he, he knew how to rebound, take up space, and he was a great player. Uh, Wes Unseld in the outlet pass is what people always talked about. But uh, Wes uh, played for the Bullets, a long time with the Bullets. And uh, I believe he won an NBA title. I think he was there when the Bullets won a title. But uh, Wes Unseld has passed away, a uh, Hall of Famer. You know, you see some of these guys and you wonder how... Basketball is full of players that you go, it just doesn't make sense. And Wes Unseld was one of those guys. Paul Silas, who played for the Celtics. These guys were about 6'7", 6'8". They, they, couldn't, they didn't jump, but they were unbelievable rebounds. I got Wes Unseld 6'7", probably 260. And, and he was every bit that. And he was just this block that was there. And uh, from Louisville... Yeah, Paul. Yeah, the 77-78 Bullets won the finals 4-3 over the Supersonics. And as Wes Unseld, he was uh, deep into his career at that point. Okay. Yeah, they had uh, Elvin Hayes and Kevin Grevy, uh, Bobby Dandridge on that team, uh, Phil Chenier. That was, a, that was a fun team back then. But uh, how old was Wes Unseld? I, I just saw the tweet from his family. 74. I, 74. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times you don't see these players you know they're not they didn't they weren't in the tv era there there's guys that missed the tv era and i wonder how their careers would have been different if you got to see them play now west wasn't an exciting player west was just one of those guys that was there every single night and he did what you wanted him to do what you needed him to do he was great rebounder and uh Trying to think some of the uh, other play. Elvin Hayes' teammate was another guy who missed out on the TV era. Like he benefited from the game where he beat Lou Alcindor in UCLA, and he had this unbelievable performance. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. But the Big E, Elvin Hayes, was a wonderful player, Hall of Famer. And uh, but if you didn't get to the '80s when Magic and Larry came in. You know that feels like that's the black and white era of TV where you're watching and you're going. That's completely different than what we were seeing when Bird and Magic came into the league. But uh, Wes Unseld passing away. Yes, uh, Paulie? Yeah, you're right. Guys like Alvin Hayes in, in 1975 were averaging 24 and 15. And five years later, they're at the downside of their career. And that's when the TV era starts. We'll talk to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He'll uh, join us coming up. We got a poll question, McLevin. Yeah, are you okay with permanently expanding MLB playoffs to 14 games? 58% say no. Oh, they don't want expansion here. Can I tell you why I'm for it? Okay. Because I feel like July 1st, 60% of the league says, ah, we're done for the season. We're going to trade all our players. Like, everybody tanks. Every season is just like half the league just sloughs off around yeah. the All-Star break. Yeah. 
now everyone will be in play. I'm okay with it this year. I just want to. I want to. I want to see how it feels. Where you're going to have more playoff teams in Major League Baseball. At, at this point, we're not going to have more games, regular season games. I'm okay with more postseason games. But what happens is, once you do it, it's rare when you you know go back and say we're not going to we're going to table that. It feels like from 10 to 14, you're adding revenue in the postseason, which is good for the owners. Therefore, this is what they would want. Uh, what do the players get out of this? How about we get baseball back on the field? How about we do that? I'm okay with that. I'll take 10 playoff teams. I don't need 14. Uh, got some notes here. Uh, Wes Unseld is the uh, Bullets, Wizards, all-time franchise leader in regular season games and postseason games as well. But uh, I don't know. I know Kareem played against Wes Unseld. But I don't know if there's a shorter center in the Hall of Fame than Wes Unseld. Because... He was six seven. You know, you people always say, "Oh, is Barkley really, uh, you know, under six five? And I go, "Yeah." No, he can't be the way he plays. He's one of those guys that defies logic. Steph Curry defies logic. There's certain players where you go, that just doesn't make sense. And Wes Unseld was one of those players. You just watched him, and he went, "He doesn't jump, but he gets all the rebounds." Moses Malone was another guy. I never thought he was that athletic. I just thought he was unbelievable on the offensive and defensive glass. Unbelievable. Never stopped. Like, you think Rodman's a great rebounder? Moses Malone would also get you 25 a night to go along with those rebounds. I saw this story, and uh, it was a column written Saturday by a former NFL executive and a current CNN political analyst, Joe Lockhart. He said that the the league attempted to convince teams to sign Colin Kaepernick in 2017 and 2018. He felt that they had uh, done a righteous job. Based on the events in Minnesota this week, Lockhart now realizes how wrong he was. In attempt to right a wrong, Lockhart believes the Minnesota Vikings should sign Kaepernick to a contract, give him a legitimate chance to compete for the backup quarterbacking spot in training camp. Lockhart writes, The situation in Minnesota right now offers a unique opportunity to deal with the symbols of racial injustice. As a small but important step, the owners of the Minnesota Vikings, Ziggy and Mark Wilf, can send a strong message by offering Colin Kaepernick a contract to play with the Vikings. Bringing him, bring him into camp, treat him like any of the other players, given a chance to play the game they love. Wow. Joe, do you realize what this sounds like? Hey, hey, hey Colin, come on in. Can you help us? Like, we screwed this up. Can you, can you make good for this? This will make this will make uh, you know the murder of George Floyd go away. Wow, that's really nice. The Vikings. Now you're saying that they should bring him in. Do they want to bring him in? How about three weeks ago? Should you have brought him in three weeks ago? How about a month ago? How about a year ago? How about two years ago? Hey, come on in. Hey, hey uh, Colin Kaepernick, can you come in and, and help us out here? Uh. Lockhart goes on to write, it will not solve the problem of blacks and police violence, but it will recognize the problem that Kaepernick powerfully raised and perhaps show that with courage, real progress can be made. This isn't progress. 
You blackballed him. He hasn't played since 2016. And he did have a peaceful protest, and that wasn't good enough, remember? Remember the NFL, the owners, president, vice president? That was a peaceful protest about what happened in Minneapolis. Now, if you said to me, Colin Kaepernick has a legitimate chance to beat out Kirk Cousins, fine. But don't bring him in and just say, hey, we fixed that. All good now. You settled a collusion suit because the owners conspired to keep Colin Kaepernick out of the NFL because he was bad for business. It's a PR move. This is horrible. It's embarrassing. Hey, come on in and and we'll give you a legitimate chance to start. What does that mean? And would you give him a legitimate chance? And why the Vikings? Just because if George Floyd had died and been murdered in Dallas, would you say to Jerry Jones, hey, Jerry, you should bring him in here. This could help things out. If it happened in Cincinnati, if it happened in Cleveland, Los Angeles. Hey, it happened in Minnesota. Hey, I know this will help things. No, it won't. And Colin Kaepernick is not playing in the NFL again. I said it at the time. He's not coming back because I know these owners that they viewed him as bad for business. We can't have this on our sidelines. But he did protest, and it was nonviolent protest. He took a knee. How symbolic. He took a knee. But to say we're going to give him a chance and now he gets to come back, are you really giving him a chance? It feels like this is something the NFL would do. Hey, guys, come on, this would be a really good PR moment here. Colin Kaepernick gets to come back. If I'm Kaepernick, Kaepernick is so much more powerful now than he would be if he came back and played football. Because you keep looking at this, and even more, even more so today, we're looking at Kaepernick and saying, see, this is what he was talking about. And I've heard from everybody... I know people get riled up, and this is about the flag, and this is... No, it's not about the flag. This is about the moment where people can see what I'm doing. The moment that everybody is watching, I'm taking a knee. I want people to understand why I'm taking a knee, to ask questions. I'm looking for social reform. I'm looking for this, somebody to correct an injustice. That's what he was saying. Now, I don't agree with all the things that Kaepernick did or how he did it. When he had a T-shirt that, you know, he was talking about Fidel Castro. I had a problem with that. Cops as pigs. I had a problem with that. Because there are so many wonderful people who are in, you know, the police departments, the police force. Another thing that happened, and this is an aside to everything that's been going on, all of the goodwill that the first responders build up in America. And that includes the police through all of this with the coronavirus, with the pandemic. It feels like that's all washed away. That we somehow forget about all of those things, all of those great people on the front lines who do things, who do it the right way every single day. And those people shouldn't be forgotten. We shouldn't look at them 
and look at them in a suspicious way. We shouldn't. I know people will, but we shouldn't. Because there are great people who do this. And I think that we're going to, we're going to move past that, unfortunately, and forget what they were doing when there were lives on the line and they were serving our country. But the Colin Kaepernick thing, it just, I, I was reading it and I just went, that, that's tone deaf on Joe Lockhart's part. It's a PR move and that'll make everything better. Because if this is in another city, are you asking Jerry Jones to bring him in? You're going to ask him to come in in Minnesota because it happened in Minneapolis. To me, that's pretty, uh, pretty hollow. All right, 877-3DP-SHOW, email address dp at danpatrick.com. Uh, anything else that needs to be mentioned? Did we up, uh, update the poll results there, McLovin? Yeah, people do not want to expand the, expand the MLB playoffs permanently. Okay. Okay. Uh, what time is uh, Kareem uh, going to join us there, Fritzy? Uh, Kareem just checked in. He's in our Zoom waiting room for whenever we want to uh, go to Kareem. All right. Uh, we'll take a break. And look, I know part of this is to make you feel uncomfortable. I mean, that's really what this is all about. When people speak up, does it make you feel uncomfortable? Because it should. We tend to socialize with people who think the way we think. But sometimes having that person tell you something that makes you a little uncomfortable or makes you question or makes you, you know, curious about something. And look, how would Jackie Robinson do today? How would Muhammad Ali do today? The Olympian, Olympians, uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, how would they do today? Social causes. Michael Jordan, famously apolitical. Ali's death, it felt like spurred a new generation of athletes to embrace activism. When you think about it, I think there was a whole new generation that went, wow, what just happened? And I think a lot of these athletes only saw Muhammad Ali as maybe somebody in the throes of Parkinson's, maybe at the Olympics, lighting the torch and maybe in the ring. But what he did outside the ring when he lost his heavyweight title, took it away. But the reaction of his death and I remember we talked about it. His legacy might be what he did to a new generation. It was four years ago tomorrow that Muhammad Ali passed away. Now, have we made progress? You probably argue that we haven't. Have we made progress from athletes, celebrities standing up, saying something, being on the front lines, not worried about being criticized? I think we have. I applaud LeBron James, Tom Brady. But while I applaud them, this is what they should do. They're people, not just athletes. And if Tiger Woods doesn't want to say anything or Michael Jordan doesn't want to say anything, that's up to them. But those who do speak up, I think a lot of that is because Muhammad Ali stood up for things. He fought against things. And I can't help but wonder... What would he say today? How would he say something today if he, in his prime, was Muhammad Ali? What would Jackie Robinson say? But it's not incumbent upon black athletes to be the ones who speak. It's all of us who should be speaking. The great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar will join us coming up next, 17 after the hour. Take a break. Back after this on the Dan Patrick Show. 
Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, obviously one of the great players of all time, a four-time award-winning columnist and writes regularly for publications including The Hollywood Reporter, The Guardian, and LA Times. His new technology service uh, service offers uh, direct custom video messaging. Also check out economy.com, which helps pro athletes create brand equity and expand their legacy beyond sports to support themselves after retirement. Kareem joins us this morning. Good morning, Kareem. How are you? I'm doing well, uh, Dan. Everything's okay. I don't know if you saw this. I hate to bring it up to you now. Wes Unseld uh, passed away. I know that. Uh, somebody... Oh, jeez. Yeah. No, I didn't see I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, And I was trying to tell people how unique Wes Unseld was. You know, he missed out on the the TV era, but it felt like he was 6'7", about 250 or 260. Yeah, you had to go around him. (laughs) (laughs) Or sometimes you get lucky you could reach over him and get a rebound. But uh, Wes was, was great at just he could keep you away from a certain area and, you know, the rebound could bounce off the floor and he'd pick it up, you know, because he, he couldn't get to that position on the, on the court. He was he, he learned how to use his bulk and size to uh, to to give himself a rebounding space, and uh, he was very effective at it. Yeah, he was one of those guys who defied logic. He was like Paul Silas. They weren't great leapers, but it felt like they were getting every rebound, and he played on that great Bullets team with Elvin Hayes and Phil Chenier yeah. that won a title. Yeah. Um, I, I love the op-ed in the LA Times, obviously very powerful, but I've come to expect that from you. Uh, take, take us back to late sixties. Like we, are we any better, any different now improved in handling, you know, these situations? Well, I I think we've uh, been through the ups and downs of it. Uh, we've, we've seen the, uh, the progress and then the backsliding that has occurred, uh, since the, uh, heyday of the civil rights uh, movement. You know, I, I remember when between my junior and senior year in high school, a, a young man, uh, James Powell, got killed on the streets of New York by a, by a police officer. And, you know, Harlem broke out in about two or three days of riots. So this that, that was 56 years ago. So, you know, the, none of this is new. Uh, it's, it's happened too many times before. And we have to do something to get to a point where uh, this is not uh, where where it doesn't happen like it does. It just seems to just play into uh, a really bad situation every time. So, uh, you know, we've got to learn how to deal with that. But I wonder about everybody's role in this, because it feels like if something happens, we tend to put this on the black community to say, hey, this is on you when it it's really on the white community to understand this or how do we advance this if you were going to speak to an audience uh i would have to say that if you when it's easy to dismiss somebody's humanity and the fact that they are a person with rights and uh, expectations that uh, no we should mutually respect when that goes out the window uh you know, all of these abuses uh, are, they, they, they just become commonplace. And, uh, you know, we, the whole idea that um, 
a segment of society is considered not worthy or not equal is going to lead to what we have seen happening. And you start to wonder about, we've had these great leaders like Dr. King or if Muhammad Ali was still alive. Like I wonder about just these individuals and what they meant to history. How would, how do you think Dr. King would view what happened in Minneapolis? Well, he would see it uh, in conjunction with all of the other lynchings and and murders of of black people that have happened prior to that. It's not an uncommon story. It's too commonplace. I think that's why we we don't do anything to change it, because uh, we've accepted it for so long. I also worry, though, that we move on so quickly, Kareem, when something happens and then we're outraged. And then this will go away. This will dissipate. Uh, we've seen this before. And then the next outrage will get everybody excited for a little while, and then they'll forget about it because we've accepted it for so long. It's just uh, you know the way that the way that we do business, and uh, we we can't do it like that anymore. Uh, there has to be some type of change. And you know, what it's all about, I think, at this point, is we have to find some means to. Uh, deal with bad cops. You know, bad cops make it bad for good cops. They make it bad for citizens of color, poor people. Uh, the bad cops are, are able to uh, just do what they want in those situations. So, uh, you know, when we get to the point where um, that's not a problem, I, I think we will, will have made a lot of progress. You were one of the more famous teenagers in the United States when you were playing at Power Memorial. Did you have any run-ins with the police? Uh, of course, of course, uh, you know, and I, I've had a gun pull on me uh, for being tall and dark. You know, that that, that was it. Really? Um, yeah. And uh, one time I, one of my sons was bringing one of my other sons home and uh, the police stopped him. They wanted to know what, what he was doing, driving around uh, in an expensive car. And they thought that that was uh, suspicious and, uh, you know, they jacked him up. It, it happens. It, it just—it's part of our culture, and uh, it's part of uh, how we see things, and we, we, we've got to change that. I thought the mayor of Atlanta had powerful words when she just said, "You know, this is like I can't send my son out to do a piece. I can't send you out. I can't protect you." And I don't know how helpless that may feel for you. That you know, you you worry about your kids. And you worry about your kids and you want to protect them and you want them to have an, an idea of how to conduct themselves so they won't be in any uh, any danger. And uh, for black kids, that's uh, that's a very iffy situation. We're talking to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Muhammad Ali died four years ago yesterday. Remember the I, first I time you met him? Yes, I do. Yeah. What I was at... I was um, just walking down Sunset, and um, <laughs> Muhammad Ali was out there doing magic tricks for people that were just walking by. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's Muhammad Ali. And it, I was with two friends of mine, and we stopped and watched him for about 10 or 15 minutes and then kept going. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, I, I went to a party. Uh, it was during my freshman year at UCLA. I went to a party, and he, he was there, and I got to meet him. And, uh, you know, we just clicked. He was a great guy. Wait, I don't know what's stranger, you walking on Sunset or Ali doing magic tricks on Sunset, Kareem. 
Well, that's that's how it was in nineteen. It was nineteen sixty six, spring of nineteen sixty six. I remember. Yeah. What don't I know about him? Uh, that he was a really funny guy. He, he he liked. He was a practical joker. You know, he he liked to uh, pull pull jokes on people and uh, mystify them with the, some of his magic abilities. Um, he he tried magic tricks for for a long time because he just liked to make people go wow what, what was that? <laughs> but then he could get into the ring and be so violent. Like one of the he's such a play he was such a playful man. But yeah. then you you turn it on and turn it off. Uh, you know we saw that with the Jordan documentary. Mike doesn't turn it on and off. It's always on. It's always on. Yeah. But, you know, Muhammad Ali would, uh, he, he was like uh, your cousin, you know, he, <laughs> you, you, you had to love him, you know, because he was, uh, he was a really congenial guy and he, he loved people. I wonder yeah. about his impact because I've, I've maintained, I think Jackie Robinson is probably the greatest athlete of all time because baseball, basketball, football, track and field. Yeah. He became a Hall of Famer when people didn't want him to succeed. What he went through to do that. And then there's Ali's place in history. I, I don't know if you can categorize that, but trying to... The impact of Ali, and I said this when he died, Kareem, four years ago, he's leaving a legacy of athletes who are willing to step up now, I think because they saw who he was when they saw all these testimonials, these tributes to Ali when he died. That you had LeBron and Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade and guys who are willing to put themselves out there. That's a, I mean, that's a powerful legacy that Ali left. Yeah, black athletes really, uh, for, for black kids, black athletes are, are the, the principal role models and uh, black kids get a lot of positive direction from, from back black athletes. I know I did. Uh, when Jackie was playing for the Dodgers, uh, you know, I, I was serious Dodger fan. And it, uh, he, he just, uh, that, that kind of charisma really has, has an effect. And he never let it boil over, though. How, how do you think Jackie Robinson compartmentalized this with everything that he was going? I mean, I'm sure internally, but he, he sort of maintained his dignity. Yeah, it was so hard to do at that time because uh, people wanted to test him. Uh, but, you know, he, he had the right disposition, and I, I, he was definitely equipped. He was a pretty tough guy. He, a lot of those guys in the, in the majors, he, he would uh, offer to meet them under the stands. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they wanted to sell it that way. You know, we'll, we'll stick to baseball. Yeah. When's the last time you uh, shot a sky hook? She's like, I... I can't remember within the, well, while I was coaching, uh, you know, and working with Andrew Bynum, I, I had to demonstrate stuff. So I, I got back in some kind of shape <laughs> at that point. But that's long ago and far away now. <laughs> Do you care about any of these lists, Kareem, where ESPN had the greatest college basketball player of all time poll? And I, I railed because you weren't the, you're the greatest college basketball player of all time. I was mad. I was probably madder than you would ever be, I'm guessing. But Jordan was the greatest college basketball player of all time. Just help me here. If you don't care about it, then I won't care about it. I, you know, it, it's, it's not important to me because the people that would vote for Michael Jordan and that don't have the perspective. They didn't see me play. 
I wish they had seen Oscar play. They they really changed their mind about that. Uh, Michael wasn't anywhere near the the college player that Oscar was. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's it all depends on your perspective, and when you understand that, uh, you can see where someone would say that because you know Michael's style was so uh, charismatic. You know, people think that 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 doesn't. You know, but uh, style and uh, effect are, are, are two different things. But we look at Michael and we go, well, he won six titles, he didn't lose. Bill Russell won eleven. He yeah. didn't lose. Like, I, I don't – how do you decide? You can't. And people who didn't see Bill Russell play have no idea, you know, what, what he did. He, he, he stifled the whole league for 11 world championships. Michael Jordan had six. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's no comparison, but uh, people don't understand what, what's being compared. So uh, that's why they get it wrong. So. You just missed out on Russell? Did, did yeah, he, uh, my first year in the league was his first year in retirement. But I saw you against Wilt, and that was supposed to be this big showdown. Oh, let's see how you know Lou Alcindor is going to do against the great Wilt Chamberlain. What do you remember about that first meeting? Uh, first meeting, I didn't do too good, and everyone after that, I did very well. <laughs> by the, you know my third year in the league, I was wearing Wilt out, and uh, he retired. Yeah, and that's another thing that will like we don't he's a statistical anomaly. Yeah. You know, he's not included in the greatest player of all time it feels like because we go, well, that's Wilt and uh you know, the NBA was different back then. Yeah, it was different, but still what what Wilt did nobody's going to do. Who's going to score 100 points uh, average what what did he average? 50.4 points. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> ridiculous what what Wilt did and nobody that saw him uh, gets to vote now. They're, you know, they've all passed on. Wilts has passed on. So, uh, you know, I think you're going to have to, like, stop it in errors, and uh, then maybe people will get it well, be a little bit more correct in, in how they assess these things. Yeah, and I try to. I don't want to be that guy who says, get off my lawn, but it feels like I'm speaking up for guys who people missed out on because yeah. I, yeah. I, I got to see everybody but uh, Bill Russell play. And, you know, I was there in Cincinnati at the Cincinnati Gardens, Cincinnati Royals. I got to see those, you know, Maravich when he came in, when you came in. Uh, I mean, run down the list of these great players. And I just say, you have no idea. Oscar played with the Royals. They were horrible. And then he got to Milwaukee, and then people go, oh, okay, Oscar, uh, he won a title. They just, they, I don't know. We pick and choose on what is great now, and we, we tend to. I had somebody arguing with me the other day about Rick Barry's greatness. And I said, God, you had to see him play. Like Rick Barry with that Golden State Warrior team, that was not a good team, but it was a team. And Rick Barry was awesome back then. Yeah, he was. But I had somebody say, well, Draymond Green is better than Rick Barry. And I go, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I said that I reacted the same way, Kareem. Yeah. Yeah. It's people have no, they have no idea what guys did so you know it's you're just talking to people who can't relate to what happened before them yeah and i know there's always this competitiveness and and yours was probably hidden a little bit more but i have to believe there's every part of you that says you're as impactful or better than anybody else who's ever played the game i I think so but uh, you know if you got time to argue uh... (laughs) 
I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I, I'll continue to argue on your behalf. I actually saw the first time you played Bill Walton in a preseason game. Uh, you, you saw that game? At the University of Dayton. Okay. And I remember, because I loved Bill. I thought Bill was as as true of team center as I'd ever seen, like understanding the game. And, and I was like, he had his long hair and the bandana. And I remember it didn't, it didn't go, it didn't go that well for Bill that, uh, that maybe, maybe it was like when you, you faced Chamberlain, but uh, Bill got roughed up a little bit there. Do you ever talk to him about your, uh, your meetings, your uh, head to heads? No, I don't I want to talk to Bill about it because he always starts crying about how he, he, he was embarrassed and stuff. But I wasn't trying to embarrass him. You know, I was just trying to win, do, do what I could do to help my team win. Yeah, but he has such praise for you, and rightfully so. But, uh, well, thanks, Bill. Yeah. Although I think he dunked on you that one time in the playoffs and uh, when, they, when they won the title. And Bill, Bill likes to bring that up. Well, that's one for Bill. And... Um, I had a few. So, uh, how are you feeling, by the way, with the corona? <laughs> I feel very well, thank you. And uh, you know, I'm I'm involved in a new uh, technology now that enables me to send messages to people and do uh, celebrations for them. It, it, it's working pretty good. If you want to know anything about it, go to iconogram.com and you can see what what's keeping me up at nights and. Uh, and, and that's spelled uh, I-C-O-N-O-M-Y. No, I-C-O-N-O-G-R-A-M, Iconogram. Oh, so I got a, uh, Iconomy.com as well. Here is Yeah, Iconomy.com. Okay, is, okay. Want to make sure I got that right. For, for messages, you want me to do a message for you, a uh, celebration, uh, weddings, birthdays, <laughs> graduations, I can do all of that. Are there any, there's no hardware in the background there. If, if I walk into the house, do I know what you do for a living or did for no. a living? No. No hardware. No. No jerseys. Uh, well, there's, I have, okay, my, my, uh, my room where I have all my baseball stuff and <laughs> all the stuff that's important to me. Like, William May signed a uniform for me. Got to have that. You probably have more baseball memorabilia than basketball memorabilia. Is that correct? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. What's your, I have certain things, yeah. What's your prize possession aside from the Willie Mays autographed jersey? No, my prize possession is the 1955 World Series baseball. That what that has phony signatures on it. It has a couple of phony signatures because the the uh, club attendant used to, uh, you know, signed. Uh, signatures of the guys who wouldn't sign the baseballs. I mean, like sell them or something. <laughs> it's great to see you. And uh, we appreciate your time as always. And uh, keep writing. We appreciate it, Kareem. Thank you very much, Dan. Nice talking to you. Have a great day and stay healthy. Thank you. That's uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We'll take a break back after this in the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Uh, it's always great to talk to Kareem. He has so much history, so much wisdom. 
I don't know if he's ever told that story before. The first time he met Muhammad Ali, he's on Sunset Boulevard and he's walking down Sunset. So first of all, here's Kareem, who's freshman year at UCLA. So he's seven two walking down Sunset. Muhammad Ali might be the most famous athlete in the world. He's doing magic tricks on Sunset. I don't know what would look stranger, 7-2 walking on Sunset, or there's Ali doing magic tricks. But Ali was so playful, and it, it really took um, any, any premonition you had about him or preconceived idea, it always took that away. Because you were like, oh, draft dodger, or I don't like him, or he makes fun of people. He made fun of Joe Freight, like all of these different things about Ali that people didn't like. And then you meet him, and he had this ability to just make you laugh. And he was a little kid. And his wife, Lonnie, and I had the opportunity of being around him uh, before he lost the ability to speak. And then a few times after, we were at the ESPYs. Uh, I was at a Mike Tyson boxing match, and uh, he was there. That presence is different than any other presence of any other person I've ever been around. And I've been around quite a few people, famous people. Nothing compared to Ali. Nothing. But I wonder who is the singular voice now through all of this. And and I'm talking about representing the African-American community. Who is that singular voice? Because we've had those voices before, but it doesn't feel like you have that singular unifying voice. Or when that person comes to town, things change. People listen. I don't know if it's Barack Obama. I know he had a statement a couple of days ago, but I don't know if he's going to be out in front of this, wants to get involved in this. But I don't know who that singular voice is. But it felt like, feels like, down through history, we've had at least one of those voices. I also mentioned this uh, earlier in the show. The smaller market teams are urging the NBA to include the entire league in the restart. Paulie, would you check the teams, let's say, or McLovin, the 22, from 22 down to 30, how many of those are small market teams? Because the NBA is moving towards a plan of inviting 22 teams to restart this season. Now, this is what I'm told. The smaller market teams, they are facing inequities. Nine months without basketball, you'd go from March to probably December. And what that impact would have on sponsorship, selling tickets, developing players, could be a really damaging uh, you know, point of the uh, year and, and of the season for some of these franchises. But the New York Knicks are not a small market team. How many of these would you designate small markets here that we're talking about? Again, these are teams that didn't make the playoffs but are not as now playoff eligible. You would consider small market teams. I would think Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, San Antonio is a huge market. But the, but Portland and Sacramento or Portland and New Orleans are going to make the playoffs under the new format. I'm it, talking about from 23 on down. Uh, 23 on down would be like Golden State, Minnesota, Phoenix, Cleveland, Atlanta, Detroit, New York, Chicago. And Charlotte. Okay, those aren't. That doesn't make sense then. Yeah. I, I mean, we're talking. Do the Knicks make it? Um, n- no, unlikely. Okay, I mean, you know, when I think of small market, I think of Memphis. But Memphis is in the playoffs. New Orleans is going to get in the playoffs. Chicago's not small market. New York's not small market. Detroit's not small market. 
Golden State's not small market. Like, I'm confused with this. Unless they believe everything besides New York and L.A. and Golden State is small market. I don't know. No, I don't think Golden State's small market. Right. I don't think so. Uh, let me see. Greg in Illinois. Hi, Greg. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. Great interview with uh, Kareem. He's a, he's a real treasure. Thank you. Um, my, uh, my question for you is about Kaepernick in the NFL. And yeah. it's just, do you think... Do you think in an honest, private moment, Roger Goodell and the NFL would change how they handled that situation right now? And that's it. Oh, I don't know. I, you know, it's hard to speak for the NFL when it comes to these things. You know, their bottom line, it, it's just that it, that's their bottom line. It's money. And these owners didn't want to have anything or anyone who could interfere with that. Colin Kaepernick deserved to play in the NFL. Now, you might say he's not a great quarterback. Okay. But he got blackballed. Remember all of those excuses? Remember he was on the diet? Oh, he's, he's on a new diet. Uh, he's losing weight. Like, we had all of these different excuses as to why Kaepernick was not being allowed to play, invited to play. I thought the Ravens were going to sign him a few years ago, and I thought Seattle was going to sign him as well. I thought that that was maybe a possibility there because it has to start with ownership it has to start with that person saying, I'm willing to take the heat because you will take the heat. Certainly in today's political climate, if you bring in Colin Kaepernick, but Kaepernick is not playing football again, but for the NFL or a former NFL employee to come out and say, Minnesota should hire him now, sign him now. That's the wrong answer because now you're only doing it for a gimmick. It's a P not, this isn't based on ability. This is based on, Hey, can you help us out with what's going on with this social climate? Hey, this will fix everything. Hey, Kaepernick in Minneapolis. Yeah, that'll work. We'll move on from George Floyd. Kaepernick's window of opportunity has passed. We'll take a break. One more hour to go. Get your phone calls. More phone calls coming up. Update the poll results as well. Seton Pauly, Fritchie McLevin, yours truly here on the Dan Patrick Show. 